cheeky back heel. With ease, Miguel Aziz, his first goal for Portsmouth. Into the path of Smithrow, into the box, Smithrow scores! A really deserved first goal in Huddersfield Town Colours. There's big news. There's a new debut taunt from Hale End. When we last spoke, it was just an hour or so before lineups were announced. And here we are a week later, and Charles Sago Jr. has made his senior debut for the Arsenal first team. Obviously, incredible to see a young player get that opportunity. Wasn't necessarily the person we all expected to play right wing or to make the debut at all. Obviously, we would think at right wing, the next debut would be handed to a Mario Cozier Dewberry. But that was not the situation. ACD did not make the squad. Charles Sago Jr. did make the squad, did make the starting 11, did make an impact, and it was very exciting to get to see another Hale Ender make it to Arsenal's first team. We're going to cover that. We're going to do a player profile on Charles. We're also going to cover Charlie Patino and why he's making the Swansea team tick. Brooke Norton Cuffey and Omar Rekik's early struggles on their loan spells and Catelyn Surgeon kind of re-cementing himself in the 11 for Rapid Bucharest. That and more to come, but first and foremost, let's get into our player profile with Charles Sago Jr., who, as I mentioned, was handed his senior debut at just 19 years old as Arsenal beat Brentford 1-0 in the third round of the League Cup. Sago featured at right wing for 68 minutes, pressing well and linking up with Ben White, Emile Smith-Rowe, and Eddie Nketiah countless times. Sego somewhat played a role in the single Arsenal goal, pressing his man high up the pitch and forcing him to make a bad pass that fell to Eddie in the box before he squared it to Reese Nelson and put it in the net to give Arsenal the lead that they would not relinquish at any point during the match. Charles's journey started in southwest London in 2004, born to a Ghanaian father who loved the game. Charles says he grew up watching YouTube videos of Neymar and Ronaldinho, mesmerized by their skills and flair, trying to recreate that magic in his garden. But it was never just about what they did with their feet. Young Sego wanted to be like them on the pitch, always smiling and making the game look fun. Charles's family were Arsenal fans, adoring the likes of Thierry Henry, Robert Pires, Dennis Bergkamp, and more. Starting off with the local team Target, or as they are now known, Met Police, Sego impressed at a young age, attracting scouts from multiple London clubs, QPR and Brentford, but eventually signed for Fulham at the under nine level. After just two seasons with the Cottagers, Arsenal knocked on the door after Sego scored and assisted against them in a tournament. Charles remembers arriving at Hale End, nervous as if it was his first day of school. But those nerves were quickly settled by the family environment built at the academy and Sago's quick on-field contributions. In the summer of 2020, Sago was given his scholarship to go to London Colney, a massive step for a young, undersized kid. Charles didn't hit the ground running the way other scholars do. His first full year with the U18s, he only made the starting 11 four times, adding zero goal contributions. But let's remember, it was a tough time to be in the academy. 2020 was, of course, the middle of COVID. And not only were players being put into social bubbles, kept in isolated groups, but they didn't have the advantage of often seeing first-team players or training with them and learning from their experience and knowledge. 
the 21-22 season was a complete flip of the narrative for Charles. He shined weekly for the under-18s, scoring nine goals and adding three assists. He also featured for the under-23s and scored the winning goal in the 92nd minute against Newport County's senior team in the EFL Trophy. Sego thrived as an attacking midfielder alongside Marcelo Flores, sitting just behind striker Kayon Edwards, feeding him in the channels and eating up the space with nifty dribbles and Charles's low center of gravity. Sego became a leader of his age group and eventually was handed the captain's armband in two matches towards the end of the season. Ahead of the 22-23 season, Sego was given his first professional contract, a huge moment for him and his family. But the hunger for success didn't stop there. That season, Charles cemented himself as one of the best players in the under-21 side, scoring six goals and adding three assists. Charles was also invited to the mid-season training camp in Dubai due to the World Cup going on with senior players, where he got his first real taste of what the first team is like. Quote, when I'm coming up against the likes of Ben White and Gabrielle 1v1, it's a much more challenging battle than what I'm used to. They know exactly how to defend against me, and because of their experience, they are smart enough to put themselves in the right positions. It's the little details of my movements they'll pick up on, and it's those fine margins that you need to learn if you want to play at the high level they are at. End quote. Just a few months later, Sego made the bench for his Arsenal's away trip to Sporting Lisbon in the Europa League. This was Sego's first senior inclusion. He said of the day, quote, Even though I didn't get on, I know that this is where I want to be week in, week out. The atmosphere at the stadium was immense. I enjoyed being in and around it. End quote. Nothing would prepare Charles for the excitement of what was to come in 23-24, his senior Arsenal debut. Just six weeks into the new season, already off to a hot start in the Premier League 2, scoring one goal and adding four assists in five matches, Charles Sago Jr. was handed his full senior debut for Arsenal, starting and playing 69 minutes away to Brentford in the League Cup. He played right wing in a 1-0 win, completing 11 of 13 passes and his only dribble attempted. He also played a role pressing, which led to the only goal of the match. A few days later, Sego reflected on the match to the Arsenal media team. Honestly, it was a great experience to be fair. I'm still, still a whirlwind to be fair because playing for Arsenal's first team is what I've been dreaming since a little kid, honestly. So playing for the Arsenal first team with the likes of Emil Reese helping me out through the game was honestly amazing. So it's still, I'm forever grateful for Mikel giving me that opportunity. So I'm always grateful. And what have the coaches said about you now? That stay humble and, and keep working hard? Yeah, of course, the coaches have always given me advice, even if I didn't make my debut and such. So they always tell me to stay grounded, stay humble and keep on working hard because I want that opportunity again. So I'm going to keep on working hard on the training, gym, everything that I apply myself to. Charles is an incredibly versatile forward, most comfortable playing off the left or through the middle, even though his first senior start came at right wing. An incredibly unique dribbler, Sago uses his low center of gravity to ride challenges and shift directions quickly. Comfortable with both feet, Charles has no issues with passing angles from any part of the pitch, able to open his body and use either foot to find that deadly final action. Receiving the ball is when Sago can be most dangerous, spinning defenders on the half turn or taking a touch into an unexpected space to open up passing lanes and attract multiple defenders to the ball. His ball striking isn't always the most consistent, sometimes lacking confidence and missing the net from good goal scoring opportunities. But more importantly, his movement off the ball gets him in dangerous areas. 
He's a hard worker. He's relentless. And he spent countless hours working on his physical ability. A kid who was once easily pushed off the ball is no longer dispossessed easily. As mentioned earlier, he has supreme balance and agility, which allows him to score from unusual body positions and finish through contact. A humble kid who knows he can affect games from any of the attacking zones, Charles Sago Jr. reminds me of a Wenger-type profile, both mentally and physically. You can't teach the natural feel he has on the ball, and as his confidence grows, Sago Jr. can become a menace to defenders on the pitch. Although it wasn't the debut that people were expecting or some may say weren't hoping for, I think it's a great sign of what's to come out of Hale End in the next few years. There are so many supreme talents attacking, defending, goalkeeping. And as Arsenal squad continues to grow and become stronger, Mikel will continue to give these opportunities away. Think about the likes of Manchester City. They were able to give more youth debuts, the better that their team got, the stronger that the side got, because the rest of the players were able to pick up and control the system, whether it was 10, 11 senior players. Three years ago when Arsenal were feeling the likes of Socrates, Mustafi, there were too many weaknesses in the 11 to also throw on a young kid who's having his first challenge, his first attempt, his first try in Mikel Arteta's incredibly intricate tactics. In the next 18 months, I would expect to see Ethan Winnery, Amario Cozier-Dewberry, Miles Lewis-Skelly, Rule Walters, and Lino Sousa make their debuts. And in the next 12 months, I'd expect this guy to come in and be one of the major midfield options for Arsenal's first team, and that is Charlie Patino, who has, as we've talked about already, started the season incredibly hot for Swansea City. He played two matches in the past week, 70 minutes in a 2-0 win over Millwall and 72 minutes in a 2-1 win over Norwich. He was running the show against Millwall in that first half. He ended with 41 of 48 passing, one key pass. He won six of his nine duels and made two interceptions. Nobody was fouled more in the match than Charlie, being fouled four times in that 70-minute span. He's really taking a foothold on that midfield in Swansea. The entire buildup runs through him. He is both involved in phase one and phase two. He's able to play in that left center mid role and off the right side. He's also found an, another level on his corner kick delivery. If you recall from his time at Blackpool, he did take many of the corners, but the corners had this kind of floating ball flight, one that gave defenders time to recover, one that didn't give the advantage of the attacker of any whip on it that helped them guide a header into goal. They had to head it with their own power and ability. His new corner kick actions have more hard spinning to the ball. His ball striking seems to have gone up a level, and for that very reason, Swansea have been deadly off of corner kicks and off of set pieces. In the second match, Charlie Patino was 35 of 38 passing in 72 minutes, three key passes, and a successful dribble in his only attempt. His confidence is growing week in and week out. He's not quite playing 90 minutes yet. Uh, I think he's still dealing with a slight injury, the one that forced him off against Millwall. But since his inclusion and since you know, his understanding of the tactics and system that they're playing at Swansea, Swansea have been on a tear. 
winning matches, and controlling possession. In that Millwall match, Charlie faced fellow Academy member Brooke Norton Cuffey, who played 45 minutes and did not have his most successful match, didn't have good decision-making, kind of was losing ball, the ball and, and, and really weak in possession. And it's not something we're used to by, in Brooke Norton Cuffey. He wasn't decisive. At times, Brooke Norton Cuffey doesn't make the best decisions, but it's never due to a lack of decisiveness. And as his confidence starts to, you know, kind of dwindle in this role, I think he is struggling to make the right decisions. He was 14 of 17 passing this match and completed both of his attempted crosses, which is good to see. Because as we mentioned last week, we thought he was getting too deep into the pitch and not being able to pick out a man. His crosses in this match came from a little bit higher, not quite in that early half space area that we talked about just above the box, but he wasn't getting all the way to the end line. But at the same time, that speaks to his lack of decision. He is used to running past defenders and eating up open space, but in this match, he did not do that, and he paid the price, only playing the last four minutes in Millwall's next match, a 2-0 win over Plymouth. Hopefully, the international break, which is to come, where both Charlie Patino and Brooke Norton Cuffey will feature for the England under-21s, Brooke will get the chance to regain confidence and come back to Millwall ready to attack, ready to eat up space, and be the high-flying wingback that we all know he can be. Catalin Sergen got his first start in quite a while in the Romanian Cup against Bodasani. He assisted the opening goal off of a corner kick with a beautiful outswinging delivery. Interestingly enough, Sirjan really played this match as a false nine. Working much of the play through him, his back to goal, eating into these little open pockets between the defenders and midfielders, recycling play, you know, kind of playing final balls into the box and helping to create goal-scoring opportunities. Unfortunately, he didn't start the next match in the league, but he did play the final 31 minutes, 16 of 18 passing, playing a much more midfield role and operating across both sides. He has some left-handed side, left-hand side bias. We've seen this before. Uh, I think when he played for the academy, he actually was often deployed as kind of a right eight and not as a left eight. But when he's had the op- opportunity for rapid Bucharest, we've really seen him enjoy playing in the left half spaces more. However, in that match against Bodasani as a false nine, he really was able to occupy the right-hand side even more than the left-hand side. So... We know Sir John is an incredibly technically skilled midfielder. Uh, his athleticism lets him down at times. He's not the strongest. He's not the fastest. But he does have a deadly final ball and incredible vision and passing creativity. Coming back to England, Omar Rekik, who is obviously with Wigan in League One, has been shifted all across the back four so far this year. In the first match of the past week, he was shifted to right back playing just 55 minutes of action against Portsmouth. He looked just as lost at right back as he did at left back. He is so scared in those wide areas and 1v1s. He doesn't feel that he can attack the player dribbling at him. He just keeps moving backwards and backwards and letting the attacker eat up space so he doesn't have to commit a challenge. But you can't defend like that in wide areas because then you're just allowing attackers to get into dangerous positions where they can cross the ball, where they have multiple passing options, where the entire offensive unit is able to get into your half and control possession. 
And I'm just confused as to why Omar Rekik is being used in these areas. Yes, he's incredibly comfortable on the ball. He can deliver excellent crosses. He's a major part of buildup. If you want to invert him even, I understand that. But that's not how he's being used. Both at left back and at right back so far this year, he's been used as a true left back or right back. Out wide, defending, and in possession. And he's just not comfortable there defending. Yes, he's incredibly comfortable there on the ball. I mean, in this match, 27 of 30 passing. He was crucial in multiple attacks for Wigan, playing the ball into midfield, playing the ball into the channels for his attackers to run onto, the things that we've seen him do at Wigan over the past year. But it just doesn't make up for the fact that he is unable to defend in these wide areas. I mean, even when he was moved to right center back in a back three against Burton at a 2-1 loss, he was better there. He was not isolated as often. He played 85 minutes. He won six of eight duels. Like, he was a lot more comfortable because that's a position he's used to. He, he's most effective as a left center back. He can play in a four or a three, but left center back is where his defensive angles are best. It's where he's most comfortable on the ball. Uh, you know, he kind of reminds me of David Luiz in that way, where at left center back, he's, again, back four or a back three. He's happy to dribble into the space and kind of operate in what that inverted left back role looks like in possession. And out of possession, he has help on both sides. He has the left midfielder or the left back or the left winger, whoever you want to call in a back three slash five, coming to help him on the wings. Or he has his left back in a back four. He has his center back pair. He has the number six or the pivot that are there to help him in defensive actions. But when you isolate him out wide, you're taking too much risk with Omar Rekik. We know he loses concentration marking players or tracking them through the box or tracking runs. You can't isolate him like that. It just takes away all the positives too quickly. And it makes him kind of also look like a headless chicken. Like his head's on a swivel or he's not even noticing players at times. I mean, one of the goals that they gave up on a corner kick to Portsmouth, Omar Rekik just like, he doesn't, he doesn't have good defensive mindset at times. That, that's been his weakness throughout his young career in academy, in senior football. And the more that you, you need to hide that more so than you are when you're playing him as a right back or a left back. And we saw that he was most comfortable so far this season in the one match he played as a right center back in a back three. So we'll see how Wigan use him in the future. Um, you know, Rekik hasn't been called up to the Tunisia squad in like 12 months at this point, which is a little disappointing considering when he was just in the academy, he was making the senior team for Tunisia. But now that he's playing senior football, he can't even sniff the senior team. So it's got to be frustrating for him um, and Tunisia alike. I mean, they really, Omar Rekik was supposed to be a big part of their future. They have a great young crop of players at the time. I mean, they've made more headway in major tournaments recently than they had in the past. So. Let's see what happens this weekend and, and after the international break. Hopefully, Omar Rekik is back to his best. Arthur Okonkwo. We talk about, spoke about him last week and how this move to Wrexham makes no sense if he's not the starting goalkeeper week in and week out. Well, it seems he has won that job now. Back-to-back -back starts in the league for Wrexham. Uh, conceded three against Crewe, uh, the club that he played for for the first half of last season. But then he kept a clean sheet and won man of the match against Mansfield Town in a nil-nil draw. He made five saves, three from inside the box. And what was most intriguing to me is, if you recall last year, the biggest concern that I had about Arthur Okonkwo was his positioning. At times, it felt that he didn't know where he was standing between those goalposts. And players were taking advantage by shooting from long distances where they knew Okonkwo couldn't cover that side of the goal. Or, you know, because he's so tall, he can't get down as fast necessarily. And if you're not positioned well, 
you're not going to be able to push off your foot to cover both goalposts. Uh, but this was an excellent display on how he's clearly worked on that, and he was very aware of his surroundings during this match. He was making countless saves, pushing the ball just wide of the post. He wasn't taking a risk of pushing it into play. He was pushing it wide of the post, and multiple times it even he would even push it, and it would literally scrape the post and go out of bounds. And to me, that just shows how comfortable he is where he is in the in the box and, and where he is between the goalposts. And I'm excited to see what he does for Rexamir. I mean, this is... As, yes, it's League 2, and it's not necessarily the level that you would expect a Conquo to be playing at, but the lights shine bright at Wrexham at the moment. There is national, international media attention on that club, and everybody there knows it. Speaking of international, Salah Adin Uladam Hand, who obviously is on loan with Den Bosch in the Netherlands, finally made his senior debut. He's healthy, and he came on for the last eight minutes in a 3-0 win over Groningen. All we can say is we hope to see him in the starting 11 moving forward. It's been a very, very long couple of years for Salah Adin Uladam Hand, who at one time last year made his move to Hull City with a buy option clause. It seemed he was leaving Arsenal to you know, make a push in English league football in the championship with a team who had its sights set on a potential promotion playoff push. None of that happened for Hull City or Uladam Hand, but it's a new year and the most exciting part of him being at Den Bosch is we could see a Salah Eddin Ulad M. Hand and Gideon Zelalem pivot in midfield uh, for Den Bosch, which is pretty fun. And uh, for those of us who have been you know, following the academy for so long, it's, it's pretty funny to think about. Um, Nathan Butler Oyadeji finally returned from his suspension, got that red card, uh, played 23 minutes in a 2-0 loss to Lincoln, and then did not make the squad for the match against Fleetwood Town. Cheltenham are a disaster right now. They fired the manager. Uh, they're, they're not sitting pretty. It's weird. The Nathan Butler Oyadehi thing is weird. Like, he's basically done nothing. And not only to his fault. I'm not purely blaming him. But he's basically not contributed in any way, shape, or form in senior football uh, since January. And he's been on loan now for, you know, 10 months. You know, four of those months for the summer. But he's basically made no impact. Uh, and to me, that means he's not being utilized in the right ways. I, I don't think he's the one of the biggest talents in the academy, but he's actually the ideal kind of player for the English Football League. He's a workhorse. He's very physical. He is good technical skill. He can play really well with his back to goal. He he's a great outlet, a potential outlet for a team who you know likes to play it long, likes to play it into the channels. He has both the speed and physicality to win those kinds of duels. And He's just not being utilized that way. So I hope with the new manager coming in, Cheltenham, we'll, we'll figure out a way to use Nathan Butler Oyedehi because there's definitely a talent there and a player who should feature it at the League One level more often than he is. Speaking of struggling sides, Colchester and Mauro Bandera are struggling alike. Bandera played only six minutes across the last two matches. He's fallen out of favor, but Colchester are dangerously close to that relegation zone and, and are playing some poor football. So... Number one, I don't know if that manager is long for that job. And number two, it's time to reintroduce Bandera into the squad. The first few matches when he played, I thought that was the best football I saw Colchester play, given I'm not watching him much when Bandera's not featuring. But he's a talented player. He's very physically capable of winning duels. Of He's got good defensive intuition uh, for a player who only just transferred kind of to that position. So I'd like to see him play more often, not just out of a you know a need for more hell more hell end, but 
I think Colchester could really use his help either in midfield or at that kind of right wing back role. Henry Jeffcott played at left back for Derby's under-21 side against Brighton in a 3-2 loss. Good to see him playing week in and week out. Uh, Billy Vigar started against Billinghurst and played 70 minutes. Uh, they had a massive win in that match. Tito Taylor-Hart, he played the first half against Gateshead in a 3-1 victory. He came off at half after what was a good performance. Um, a couple of really nice attacking actions that eventually led to you know good opportunities for both him and his teammates. But then... Didn't make the squad for the match against Chesterfield a few days later. I think he picked up a slight knock. Uh, there's no real reports of it, but it would be odd for him to not even make the squad. Uh, but speaking of that squad, Alex Kirk made the bench for the first time in that Chesterfield match for Bromley where Keto Taylor-Hart did not make the squad, and hopefully he'll feature soon. I I'd be surprised if he doesn't cement himself as a starting center back for that team. He was excellent last year for Iyer United, and this is... This is a good step up for him and a good chance for him to also get a taste of the English football leagues. Uh, Mika Biareth is still out due to injury, that uh, MCL injury that he suffered, unfortunately. But the boss said yesterday he thinks he might see Mika back in training after the international break. So that is very, very exciting, obviously. Biareth had that amazing debut and then got injured in the next match. Uh, Tyrese John-Jules is still out due to thigh injury. And Brian Okonkwo did not feature in the last two matches for Leatherhead. Not sure exactly why. Could be a whole host of reasons, uh, but he's been fantastic for them, so I don't think it has to do with his ability. Uh, we obviously have the international break coming up, um, as you will have seen on my Twitter account. Uh, we have many Hailanders representing England. I already mentioned Charlie Patino and Brooke Norton Cuffey will face Serbia and the Ukraine in Euro qualifiers for the under-21s. Uh, Rule Walters will feature for the under-20s, facing Romania and Portugal in the under-20s Elite League. And, and then Lino Sousa and Amario Cozier-Duberry will represent the under-19s, facing Montenegro, Wales, and Austria in Euro qualifiers. Um, you will be surprised, obviously, to see that Miles Lewis-Skelly and Ethan Winnery are not representing any English side. That's because they're still out due to injury, which is a bit unfortunate. But, of course, Miles Lewis-Skelly did sign his first professional contract, which is very, very exciting for the club. Uh, Omari Benjamin has been called up to the Wales under-19 side for the second time. He's already scored once at this level. Uh, Wales under-19 will have three Euro qualifiers against Austria, England, and Montenegro. So we might see Omari Benjamin, Lino Sousa, and Amario Cozier-Duberry all on the same pitch together in that match, which would be a blast. Uh, other than that, we haven't gotten any news from many other international youth sides, but expect to see Mikhail Rosiak uh, with the Poland under-20s. I would expect to see Cheeto Obi uh, with the Danish under-17s. I'd be surprised if he doesn't make that squad. Uh, he has been on an absolute tear for the academy so far, and I'd look out for Cheeto Obi on next week's podcast. I think there's a chance he could be our player profile. Uh, and other than that, it doesn't look like Maldini Calcuri is going to get his first Albanian call-up uh, Omar Rekik, as I mentioned, did not get called up to Tunisian squad. And we'll keep an eye on some of the other potential youth call-ups. Uh, you know, Catalan Sergen may get called up to the Romanian under-21s again. Uh, the likes of James Sweet, it does not appear he's got called up to any of the Welsh sides. Uh, Mauro Bandera does not have appeared to have been called up for the, any of the Portuguese sides. And then Kazeta Thorne, who was called up to Costa Rican's first team, 
Uh, last international break, we are still waiting to hear what the news is out of their camp. But we'll keep you all posted on all of that. Obviously, we've got some matches this weekend uh, in club football, and we'll have probably some international matches before we next speak. So we'll catch you up on all of that next week. And as I mentioned, I think it's likely Cheeto Obi will be a player profile next week. So keep an eye out for that one. Keep an eye out for everything on Twitter, keeping you all up to date as much as I can. And thank you very much for listening to another episode of Away From Hail End. <laughs>